was, uh, you know, we met at a high school. Uh, we met at a music concert. Um, Judy's brother was in my class. Um, didn't really know about Judy, but uh, the rest was kind of history. We, Judy was an exchange student for a year to the U.S. Uh, in, in 1986. We took a break during that year, but got together as, you know, as soon as she got back. But we weren't, we weren't believers at that point. So, I mean, I think we had both been, you know, grown up in Christian homes, so it hadn't really, you know, made a commitment. Um, and we're, you know, uh, I'd say we're, we're just going to church and doing what we were forced to do. It was really when we decided to get married after Judy graduated um, that uh, that we, you know, we decided to make a commitment and get serious about this because if we were going to make a covenant in front of God, we wanted to be sincere about it or not do it. One of my biggest stumbling blocks was, as Andrea said, at boarding school you had to go to church. And to me, one of the, the biggest stumbling blocks between me and Christianity was the fact that apartheid, South Africa's racial segregation, was justified biblically. And there was just no way. I could not get my head around that because, I mean, it was so obvious, and it is obvious that apartheid was so incredibly wrong and so destructive and so evil and so wicked Mm. that um, if that had anything to do with Christianity, uh, there's no way I could come... To a Christian God, but I had a I had a sense that there was something more, and I knew there was a God, but it looked like there was this barrier between me and God. Mm-hmm. And then a friend of mine that I was at law school with, you know, we used to talk about this a lot, and she she was a believer, and she eventually said to me, she said, take a Bible where uh, Christ's words are in red, and just read Christ's words. Do not read anything else in the Bible, and if you find anything in His words that you don't agree with or that you can't um, you can't live with, then walk away. Then it's not for you. That was just a phenomenal gift to me because, of course, that, that just brought it down to, to the truth of the gospel. That was a, a huge step in me, in me coming to faith. Yeah, and, um, you know, I, I think kind of, you know, just considering, you know, generosity and, uh, you know, attitudes towards giving, um, I mean... I'm not naturally a giver. I think uh, you know Judy may have more of a, a natural inclination to to give. I think most people are like that. Uh, you know, I mean, there are people who are you know more generous or less generous. But um, you know, certainly I, I wouldn't say I was uh, would have been classified as a generous person by by any measure. You know, particularly after I got married, I started my legal career and. You know, you're working in a law firm, uh, and uh, you know the senior partner's driving a Porsche, and all the partners have got BMWs, and really that was uh, you know exciting to me. I was really looking forward to to you know getting one of those cars, one of those one of the days, you know. And uh, so to, you you grew up in this environment where that was really you know the what is held out as the goal, and and the, the you know the rung to which you aspired. Yeah. Well, Anessa, I have a question on that because you're both kind of a high-powered couple, if you will, if you kind of look back, okay, both lawyers coming in and then moving to the uh, Silicon Valley and, uh, you know, and this whole idea of uh, in the Silicon Valley especially, we want to be first, mm-hmm. want to have the best. And, and how, did, how did that culture, how did that impact you and, and maybe uh, kind of wrestle or process with wanting the Porsche or wanting to status or mm-hmm. the the next rung up. 
you know, the thing to realize, I think Johannesburg is a very metropolitan, a very first world city. And, you know, even there, I think the culture was, it's a very fast city. Um, it is a very wealth oriented. There's a lot of money going around. I think, uh, you know, per capita, there's probably more BMWs and Mercedeses driving around there. But, you know, Silicon Valley is held out as, as you know, this mecca of innovation and, you know, where your dreams can come true. And I think that is really what, um, you know, part of the attraction to, to come here. Um, you know, again, just taking cars as a silly example, um, you know, as, as a percentage of your annual income, a car over here is a lot more affordable. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, a lot of our South African friends moved here and bought a car that even by U.S. standards would be considered extravagant, but it's just relative to where we came from in Johannesburg, it was affordable. Um, so, uh, you know, that was, yeah, but I'd, I'd say the, the, the move here really was to, you know, say, you know, experience a bit of the American dream. Uh, you know, when you're in the tip of Africa, we hadn't traveled. Mm. So that is a big motivation for coming here as well, just to, to travel and see something different. Your, your vision of America um, really is, uh, you know, centered on this American dream. You see it in the movies the whole time, you know, people living out this American dream. And, um, you know, I think certainly we, we came here, you know, to to see if this was true, whether the streets were paved with gold, um, as, as advertised. <laughs> I think it was kind of paved with a, a different gold, but, uh, you know, Silicon Valley, it's uh, also a very fast pace, um, you know, a lot going on, very driven, people working very hard. I think uh, a lot of people really, uh, you know, putting putting value in, in what they've got mm. and, and seeking value in that and, mm. and uh, you know, really making that an idol, I think, is, uh, yeah. we, see, we see some of that here, but again, I don't know that it's any worse than any difference yeah yeah i think the i think the difference is actually for us and i'm just um, Mm. thinking that as as we're speaking is that when we came here when we arrived here we were what i don't know how many years into our careers we just start over again Mm. and um it was such a it is a, a foreign place it's a foreign culture um and personally, I looked at it and I, and I looked at the house price, prices and stuff and I thought, okay, I don't know if we'll ever mm. afford to buy a house here. I mean, it's just so expensive. So in a sense, my expectations, and probably Andres too, were recalibrated. Mm. And I think that really helped like, minimize the appeal of wealth or the, or, the, or the value of it. And the other thing that happened to me is when I came out here, uh, we came out on Andres' work visa. And uh, we took the bar exam together, but at that point I didn't have a job, and we decided to start a family. Um, but long story short, that also really rocked my identity because I was so used to people saying, uh, "What do you do?" Right. Um, and I always used to say, "You know, I was a prosecuting attorney. I was, uh, you know, white collar." Uh, crime lawyer so so I was very that was my core identity but the gift that that gave me coming over here and not being able to work not having the right work visa all of that um, that's when my identity became becoming I, I was the fact that I was a Christian mm. that, that was my identity and that was the first time in my life and the first time in my faith that um, I I came to grips with my identity as a believer and then my other experience or reaction to the Silicon Valley culture, I would say, is when I, you know, I came here, we, we joined a, a great church. And I, I looked around and I, and I said, you know, my, my take was, 
um, America should not be sending missionaries to Africa. Africa should be sending missionaries to America, or to Silicon Valley in particular, because there was such an atmosphere here of self-sufficiency um, that everything is in your own control, that there is no need for a higher power. Whereas in South Africa, you're more at the mercy. I mean, the, the, the awful history that South Africa had come through, the miracle of the way that apartheid ended, and we didn't have a civil war, and there was this phenomenal truth and reconciliation commission where people came and, sh- and shared their stories and, and asked for forgiveness. That only happens with God. I mean, and even if you're not a believer, you, you have to know that there's a, a higher power. So that's really in your face in South Africa. Is is It's not self-sufficient. As human beings, there's no way that, that you can control your life to the degree that it seems like you can in Silicon Valley. Right. Yeah, and I, th- I think it was humbling moving here because, I mean, we had a nice house in South Africa and a car, and we sold all that to come here. And we bought a sofa and a 200-buck <laughs> car, and uh, that was our money gone. And that, that was our situation for a while. So it was a recalibration, mm. which I think was was good for us. But, you know, we, we literally, you know, it was, uh, it, it was a, you know, a hard few years over there. But, we were, you know, we were, we, were tra- we almost had a travel mindset. We were like, hey, we were, you know, here for a while. And, um, you know, so when, you're somewhere, when you think you're somewhere temporary, uh, it, really doesn't, it really doesn't bug you. Now, thinking about you guys have been on a journey, like we said, journey towards really living generously mm-hmm. towards in all facets of your life. What what began that for you? How did that start? Once we became, you know, after we got married and we started attending church in South Africa, uh, you know, we started to give. But again, to be honest, I'd classify myself as a somewhat reluctant giver. Um, I was uh, somewhat suspicious of the church. I had the view that the church was after my hard-earned money. Um, but again, I think the view I may have had at the point that, that it was a perhaps a subscription uh, or a membership fee to an organisation uh, that I didn't, you know, particularly want to pay. But uh, out of obedience, I, I probably, you know, uh, gave some money. I'm not quite sure we were even tithing at that point. But you know, slowly over time, we you know just decided to, uh, you know, give a little bit more. I think we started off, you know, probably very low and I went through the whole uh, you know after we moved here as well I'd say uh, you know a, a similar experience we joined a church over here yeah, I'd say there was kind of just a slow um, uh, you know realization that um, we should be we should be giving more and, and we, we we kind of dialed it up slowly quite frankly and I also went through the whole is this pre-tax or post-tax and you know at what point you know do I give on the gross or I give on on the net and um, you know just realizing that we were blessed to be here and I think you know diving more into our relationship with God um, began to, uh, you know, our, our view of, 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 of at least tithing began to to evolve. And as we dialed it up, um, you know, we just felt, we just thought, well, we're not actually any worse off than we were before. Um, and it, it really became a little, you know, effortless to, to, to give that every month. And I think there were a few, you know, pivotal messages we listened to and a few uh, courses and books that we read that I think really flipped um, at least my perspective on on generosity and you know particularly tithing and and first fruits uh, that I came to understand it you know quite differently than than what I'd understood it before. Yeah, I don't know, but I can I can relay some of that. I don't know if you want to do, inject anything at this point. Um, yeah. Well, one of one of my biggest things that I learned was was stewardship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember I was a, a, a child. I was maybe ten years old, and we were. Uh, going on a summer holiday um, 
and my my parents. I'm one of four kids. I'm number two in the in the four. And at the beginning of the holiday, it was summer holiday. We were at the beach for four weeks. At the beginning of the holiday, my parents gave us a set amount of pocket money um, that was meant to last us for the four weeks to buy ice creams and uh, you know cool drinks or whatever your, your little treats. And on the the second day, the first day I had my pocket money, I went to the shop, which was a, a, more like a trading store than, than anything else. And I spent the entire amount amount of pocket money buying Christmas presents for my family, um, which obviously put my parents in a conundrum because now they're sitting with a child who's great that she's bought in my Christmas presents, but now they've got to get everyone else more pocket money. And it took me a while to figure that out. And, and that's, to me, such a, a wonderful lesson for me on stewardship. Because to me... Um, one of the, the first things to realize is that everything you have in life, whether it's um, it's not only your money, it's your time, it's your resources, it's your stuff, it's your home, all of that stuff belongs to God. So then what you're doing is you're not owning, you are stewarding. And to me, my story of buying Christmas presents with all that pocket money was actually bad stewardship. But to me, one of the key things is now is um, before we give, before we have people, you know, in our home or we have a, a guest room and we have different people stay there for for a while. Um, be, to me, the key there is being connected to God. Um, and it's God's decision. You know, Andrea and I could, could fill our home every single night with different things, but if it isn't what God is calling us to do, then then it's it's of no use or it's of its far less use than God using it for his purposes. And so to me that's the bottom line. Be connected to him. I agree. Yeah, I think on stewardship, I mean I can I can give a few concrete examples. Um, the the one was I was presented with a job opportunity, you know, probably about eleven years ago over here. I'd been over the current the firm I was with for nine years and this was a setting out on an adventure with a you know Minneapolis based firm in Silicon Valley setting up their office um, and, and and that really was a leap of faith because I was taking uh, a step out of this firm I'd been with for nine years um, it, you know to to partner with this firm I didn't really know um, I had a young family and Judy and I really prayed about that um, you know we had a house we had a mortgage we had a lot of stuff going on and it, it could have been a terrible terrible decision mm-hmm. um, but we prayed about it and we prayed about it hard and we really felt God saying you know do this and um, you know we, we, we stepped out and, and we did it and I think God was God was faithful there and I, and I think there was a series of events like that the next one is really I mean quite frankly this house we were sitting in we knew the previous owners and uh, we had said hey if you ever sell it we'd be interested half joking uh, they put it on the market at a price that was way exceeded anything we could afford. And we said, mm. thanks very much for putting us on the exclusion list. But, uh, you know, there's, there's no way we can afford it. And, um, you know, it was probably six months later. They couldn't sell it. They got into a position where they had two houses and came back to us and said, will you please take this house off our hands for, for this amount? And we looked at the budget and thought, well, you know, if we you know, live on bread and water for a few years, maybe we can, you know, scrape by and do it. And again, we, we prayed about it. And I think the sense we really got there was, um, yes, do this, but know that this house is mine and you, you are to use it for my purposes and you're to open it up 
but we had to step out in faith there and, and, and really that was also part of the realization that you know what we have is God's and if we trust him um, you know we're we're uh, you know we're tenants in this house mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know we're we're uh, you know innkeepers for God mm-hmm. over here and uh, you know if, if he sends guests to knocking on the door we'll welcome them in and that's the attitude we've had and and, and that mind flip from this is mine to this is God's and I'm a steward of it also really um, impacted giving mm-hmm. and particularly tithing um, because I think previously as I said I'd kind of viewed tithing as as uh, um, you know I was a reluctant giver because it was something God was, I was taking something of mine and giving it away and and, that, and when you look at it from a stewardship point of view and if you view this as God's tithing is just hey I'm just giving back God a little bit of what he's given you know given me it's like he's given me you know a thousand bucks and uh, he asks you know me to give you know a hundred bucks back to him to look after his bride the church and I'm absolutely you know so it's just a a slight you know that attitude takes you from being a grudging grumpy reluctant giver to being a a cheerful giver you know one one book that I think uh, we were you know impacted by was you know The Blessed Life um, by Robert Morris um and, and, and in that he talks about uh, you know three types of giving tithing offerings and then extravagant gifts and, and he makes the point that tithing um, is the act or the giving that really redeems the rest of your giving um, you know it, it, it kind of blesses it and I think he uses the example of you know feeding of you know with the loaves and you know feeding the five thousand and where before Jesus broke the bread he he blessed it and it's really that act of blessing that um, enables multiplication mm-hmm. of what you're doing. Um, so, you know, really, um, you know, I've come to view tithing as being an act that I do to bless the rest of my giving. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to bless my money that I have, but to bless any other money I give away. I, I think tithing is also just a an indication of, it's a reminder that you're a steward, and I think it's also evidence that you view your stuff as yeah. being God's yeah. and that you you have a steward mindset to it. Well, that's good. And you're hitting on, I think, such a big shift for us that if we could view it from mine to steward and clearly, even in, as you talk about it, in that process, God did a lot in you, mm-hmm. you know, and how mm-hmm. he says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart right. is also. And mm-hmm. talking about how you started off as a reluctant mm-hmm. giver mm-hmm. and talk about the heart change yeah. that has happened over the, the course of this time. Yeah, well, Jesus and I were actually discussing that verse. And I think, you know, it says, you know, um, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be or your heart will follow. And to me, that is, you know, where you put your treasure, your heart will follow. It doesn't say where your heart is, your treasure will follow. Mm. So to me, that was an important distinction because I think I, as I mentioned, I was kind of tithing out of obedience and kind of reluctantly. But I think the process that we went through of uh, our, our mind shift on, on, on you know, on, on this whole issue, I think really was our hearts following our treasure. Mm. And it's a positive feedback loop because the more the more you do that, the more you, uh, you know, invest in, in God's kingdom. Um, I think the more your heart goes there and, and it just, it just keeps feeding, you know, it's kind of a virtuous cycle. It just keeps growing. And it, it's not only, it's not only money. It's, it's, um, what you do with your time. Um, you know, what you do, as I said, with your home, with the stuff that you own, with your cars, mm. all of that. And, and, to me, obviously, it's not about the amount. I mean, mm. if you have $10 and you give God $1, mm. it's sacrificial. Mm. Um, yeah. 
to me even more so than than a, a very wealthy person who has ten million dollars mm. and they give away one million. Yeah, and I, I think it's like you know the the widow story who gave you know two gold two coins and uh, you know I think the it really says there that she um, you know she gave much more because she gave out of her poverty than you know the rich person who gave out of their abundance. Well, you can even talk a little bit because I think that's probably one of the great. Fears, you know, is when first we're saying is, you know, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then he'll provide all the rest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think one of our fears is we don't have enough or we won't have enough. Mm-hmm. So maybe you could talk to both sides of that, of mm-hmm. the fear that um, comes with and maybe even just starting to trust God with what you have. Because this, the issue isn't money the issue is trust mm-hmm. and who are you going to trust right? right are you going to trust yourself your ability you're going to trust god and his mm-hmm. ability mm-hmm. and then how have you seen god provide mm-hmm. in in multiple ways because what you're talking about of missing out is there's a sense of joy mm-hmm. there's a sense of purpose and just knowing you guys there's a sense of delight of when when it's stewards it's just like here it is oh, absolutely. i've just got gotten to watch you all share what you have effortlessly I just want to get my Bible. It comes back to that verse that you you referenced about about where your where your treasure is, um, and that's that's a verse that we hear so many times. So this is Jesus speaking to you know speaking to people. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I don't think I'm going to get through talking about this without crying, because it's such a it was such a breakthrough for me to see to see what Jesus truly what I feel He truly meant. Because originally I used to look at this verse as um, as sort of God. Jesus taking the fun out of your stuff, mm. you know, like a bit of a finger wagging, um, you know, don't put your money there, you have to put your money in churchy stuff, you know, it's very boring, you can't go spend it on the on the fun stuff. And then, you know, after spending time with this verse and praying about this verse, I actually saw that the verse is such a beautiful picture of of Jesus and Father God protecting our hearts, mm-hmm. you know, and, and saying to us, you know, put put your treasure with me. Put your treasure in in heaven, because because that's the way that I protect your heart. So it's not what we're doing for him. He doesn't need our treasure. He doesn't want our treasure. But it's it's what he's doing for for our hearts. And it's just such a beautiful picture of a father's heart for his children. You know, trying to bless us, trying to protect us by. By giving us this this advice, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think on that point, I mean, there's also the the story of the the young rich man or the young rich ruler comes to Jesus and asks him, "What do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God?" And he, he Jesus basically says, "Well, you know, follow the commandments. Don't you know the commandments? For, you know, don't murder, etc." Um, and the guy says, "Yeah, I, well, I've done all that." And then there's a verse in there that I'd missed before, which said, "And and uh, you know, Jesus um, smiled at him and, and loved him." And the word and says and loved him, and then he says and then he told him to go sell all his possessions. Um, and uh, one thing I, you know, it kind of struck me that 
even though he had you know lived according to the commandments, Jesus loved him so much that he told him to go sell his, some of his stuff and you know give it to the poor. So it was really to your point about God, you know, protecting our heart and doing it for for good. He Jesus out of love told this guy to be generous, um, and I, I think that's to that exact point. God God gives it. Tells us and encourages us to be generous to protect our hearts mm. um, and and for our benefit and for our joy. But you know there is that fear at, up front. I mean you're you're you know you're living uh, you know in, a, in an expensive area like we are. Um, you've got a young family. You've got to support. Um, you you know you, there's all sorts of you know monthly expenses. And quite frankly, it's difficult to you know figure out how am I going to afford to mm. to be generous in this environment. I'm just I'm just getting by. But I, I think the the only you know, I can just draw on my experience and say I think uh, you know stepping out in faith God is um, I mean God says this is the one thing where he says you know test me um, and we I'm not quite sure voluntarily tested God but we did and um, you know our experience was that he was he was faithful there even though we were giving uh, you know somehow we we managed to you know come by and, and get by and uh, you know we had enough to, to do what we needed we needed to do there was you know an unexpected raise an unexpected job came along um, you know something happened that, that really you know you know eased that burden if we were if we were faithful we were fearful I mean there, there sure. is that there is that fear mm. and uh, you really don't think you can do this we are called to give first fruits and and that that to me the, the, the ordering over there is important the fact that it is first fruits it's not just to say we you know call to to give fruits it's really um, you know the first of what we have and that's that that's a scary thing that's fear inducing mm. um, you know I view kind of looking at if you were a you know Judy's you know dad's a rancher and he's got a you know a flock of sheep according to the first fruits principle he's got to give the first lamb um, that comes from that flock he doesn't know whether they're going to be any other lambs coming forth or you know uh, there could be a storm and all these sheep are lost he doesn't know whether there's anything else coming so it really is an act of faith giving first fruits because you don't know if there are going to be subsequent fruits and I think that's why the ordering really is is first because it's really the first and the best to, to my mind there there's a difference between tithing and first fruits um, you can give 10% um, you know and if we just look at it on a monthly budget you know you could sit down with your paycheck and you've got all these bills that need to be paid and you could pay all these bills and then at the end you could say okay uh, you know oh, I've got 10% left I'm going to give that to the church that's a tithe but it's not a first fruit um, mm. yeah uh, so if you just reverse the ordering is I'm going to give uh, a tithe to the church and then I'm going to pay my bills that's I, I think that's, that's more obedient when we get money in whether it's our monthly paycheck I've just got a stop order that money goes out so I don't uh, you know we don't even really see it and similarly if a bonus comes in um, you know 10% I, I take it off before I'm even tempted to, to spend it um, I mean, you know, the Bible says that the, the tithe is holy. It's kind of set apart. Mm. And to, to that extent, I don't even really want it in my bank account. Um, mm. It's it, It's, it's got to go, and it's got to go quickly, and it's got to go first. Oh, that's great. And you're hitting on a couple things that I think maybe you could talk about it, of living a generous life and both giving uh, the first and best of certain habits that you've embraced mm-hmm. uh, and both from financial, but maybe talk even family, talk, um, you know, about your, uh, 
how you spend, budget your time. You know, everything needs to be budgeted if we really think about mm. it. You know, we because there's limited quantity of mm. all relationships and time and energy. You got to budget your. So how, how have you done that? What are some practices maybe that you have in place that that have helped? For me, it it, it comes back to the the stewardship mindset of knowing that that everything is available to God. So that includes my time, it includes um, the guest room space that we have available in the house, it includes our money, um, it includes our, our stuff. And just trying to live in that open connection and availability to God. So that that, that would be the, the, the one pillar of it, and the other pillar is Andre and I um, communicating and praying together about those decisions. Because and, and we've learned this from experience. I mean, previously, if one of us has has you know made one of those decisions without first discussing it, it's it's not a great idea because it creates discord and and it just kind of robs you a little bit of of what God has for you in that. So we have a, a guest room as I've mentioned, and and we've had a lot of different people stay there. So we could fill that on our own. I mean, there are always people that need a place to stay. But we so intentionally go after partnering with God, particularly, that's a great example, particularly with that guest room. Um, And people will end up in conversation. We just meet people just in in God ways. And um, I often find myself responding to their story and thinking, wow, we don't have anyone in the guest room right now. They can stay there. But I've learned not to do that because that's not good stewardship. It's not my guest room. It's God's guest room. And so I pray about it. And when I talk about it, we pray about it. And once we get the go-ahead, then I'll approach the person and, and offer offer them the, the guest room. Oh, I think that's really important uh, and because stewardship, making it isn't my guest room. And we can loan things out and all of a sudden the motive can become a sense of pride mm-hmm. and a sense of I got to do these sort of things and taking it back and bringing it back and submitting okay God what do you want to do with that that is mm-hmm. that is powerful that is so good and um, then you can say in all honesty to, to the people that do end up in your guest room or recipient of, of a gift or, or whatever all time when they thank you you can say to them it's a God thing and it's, it's such a beautiful way for them to see God providing for them in such a personal way. But it's, it's, it's so wonderful to be able to say to the people, it wasn't our decision. We were following God's leading. And that turns into such a blessing for them in their relationship with God, whether they have one or not. Yeah, I mean, and I think you bring up a, a you know an important point. There is generosity should permeate, you know, finances is one aspect of it, but uh, you know, hospitality, uh, friendships, um, you know, there there are so many areas that you you know we are called to be generous in. Um, and uh, as I say, I think it's it's just a it's just a journey. And we you know we we as I say we we don't regard ourselves as being particularly generous. But we're actually just excited that we've started to discover this thing. Um, and and the more we dive into it, um, you know, the, the more it's just it's so rewarding. And uh, you know, we, we find different aspects of generosity start to permeate different aspects of our lives. And uh, you know, this kind of overflow, which is which is exciting. What is you know one thing that uh, 
you wish others knew or you would want to say to somebody else about wanting to give God first and best? What you just what's the one thing that you go? I I just so wish you know maybe the twenty year old you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The young married you when your kids were little, mm-hmm. you know you have those different stages of life. What what would you want to go back and say to you? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I'd say you know, I mean, Judy is a prayer warrior, and I'm I'm following her in this. I mean, she's she you know she's just phenomenal on, on this. But I'd just say it's it's kind of what she alluded to before is trying to listen to God and see where He is calling you mm-hmm. to to be generous and and tuning your antenna to to God and, and learning to hear his voice you know and, and and to react to his prompting and and to step into that prompting with confidence that even though it feels like a crazy thing to do mm-hmm. or it's a scary thing to do there'll be fear uh, there'll be discomfort there'll be um, trepidation uh, to to just respond to that um, you know whether it's um, you know going up to someone at a grocery store and handing them you know twenty dollars and saying you know Jesus loves you or you know doing something to, you know wherever you wherever you feel prompted to be generous mm-hmm. um, just just listen I think that is the the big thing that um, I'd say would probably I mean mm-hmm. personally I'd say is is what I wish I'd had I wish I had that skill and that and, and, and that awareness to listen to God's voice for for God's prompting mm-hmm. Yeah, and for me, I would. It's it's um it's a great way you asked the question. What would you say to the to the younger you? You know, in in this and and so that would have been the twenty four year old me because that's when I became a believer. And um, <laughs> I w- I would say to to the twenty four the twenty four year old me. I would say you were born for this. Yeah. You were born for this. You know, you were you were born to walk with God. Um, to partner with him in all these amazing things. Um, this is so much fun. You have no idea. Just the perfection. God perfects us. Um, and when we come into his presence and we walk with him, there, that is perfection. And there's nothing more fulfilling than that, than walking with your creator and having him say to you, um, I'd like you to do this, or, or hey, look at this situation, to be partnering with Heavenly Father, Creator of the Universe, it's the funnest thing. That's the most fun you could ever have. And it's it's eternal. We get to do this forever. 